You've got to have policies at your practice about, we're going to say we have a 24-hour response, right? And then go fill in the details of how you're going to deliver that. Before you get into using CRM or any of this stuff, you got to start with the mindset of like, what kind of experience do you actually want to deliver? What kind of expectations do you want to set? I'm Chad Main, the founder of legal services company Precipient, and this is Technically Legal, a podcast about the impact of technology and innovation in the practice of law. Today's episode, we talk to Guy Sakalakis. He's a lawyer and the founder of AttorneySync. That's a digital marketing company that helps lawyers with tech, helps them with their websites, and helps them improve the visibility of their businesses and strengthen their client relationships. As Guy and I discuss, lawyers are often not that great about getting back to clients and prospective clients. In fact, you might be surprised to know that recent surveys have found that most inquiries to lawyers from prospective clients go unanswered. So to address this issue, Guy and I talk about using tech to be responsive to clients and using it to enhance the overall client experience. So a few weeks ago, we were having some adult beverages. Yes. And I pitched this idea for the podcast because it, since I've launched the company Percipient, there's been a couple of times, even though I know a million and a half lawyers, where I've needed help with legal work. And, and not insignificant stuff, um, stuff that's going to cost a couple bucks. And you know, I reached out to several attorneys, crickets, literally crickets, email them, calls. Even if I had referrals from other attorneys or friends, sometimes I'd actually get them on the phone and then they'd say, all right, I'm going to send you the, the fee agreement or whatever. Nothing. Dropped it. So I was thinking it was me. Is it me? They don't want to have me as it a client? It is you. It's totally yeah. you. <laughs> well, I thought that, but maybe not. Because then, a few months ago, Clio came out with their legal trends report. And there was two interesting factors that kind of like proved each other. Of all the people they surveyed, which I believe were clients, right? Yeah, all of the actual survey respondents were, that's not part of the law firms. It's actually people that are working with the, those law right. firms. So yeah. I think the number was 64%. 64% of those surveyed said they'd reached out to attorneys and there was no response. None. And then Clio itself sent out a thousand feelers over to two attorneys, I think various ways, email, phone, for different types of law, you know, then bankruptcy, family, business, whatever it was. And they came up with 60% of the attorneys did not answer. Like they just went unanswered. Ghosted completely. Right. So. Not just you. It's not right, you. Not me. So that, well, maybe it's both. <laughs> could be both. Maybe it's a common, a perfect storm, the perfect storm. <laughs> But that just got me thinking because then if you read the clear report too, and here's the, here's the quote from it. Law firms say they want to increase their revenues, yet they have trouble finding business. On the other hand, clients struggle to get help with their legal problems. It, it just didn't make sense. It shocked me. When it was confirmed to me that it wasn't just me that wasn't having lawyers respond, I, I was curious. So I want to get your take. So it's me too. So give us a little bit about your background yeah. and why, why I wanted to have you here. Well, I don't know. I know um, my background is so I used to be a trial attorney for a very short period of time, a long, long time ago in a galaxy far away. But I founded a company in 2008 that does, for lack of a better way of saying it, digital marketing for law firms. But part of the issue that always comes up for us is, you know, we track phone calls and inquiries and we try to get people on using client relationship management tools so they can actually track their marketing by channel. And sometimes we look at, we'll send these uh, call detail reports and we'll see, oh, 60% or 50% of the calls just were unanswered. Some of our clients, they'll record the intake process and, you know, you listen to what's going on and you're like, well, yeah, no wonder, like you're, there's no, there's no follow-up. You're not answering the phone. You're, there's an expectation people are going to leave voice messages. And so 
I think that's kind of the impetus for this conversation. It, it, it grew out of that experience. It grew out of the uh, legal trends report. But we see this across the board. I mean, you know, again, I, I'm a customer of lawyers as well as a small business owner. Same thing. Can't get them on the phone. I'm like, hey, I need to hire you for this. I think this is what you do. Nothing. It's crazy. It's crazy. And before we, before we get into the, the nuts and bolts of it, what's Clio for those that might not know? Yeah. So Clio's a practice management tool, but they're really, they're doing some great stuff over there. They're trying to build a platform that basically helps lawyers assist clients through the, what I guess they call their, the entire client journey. But the context of this conversation that they do is, you know, they're collecting data from all of these users of their platform. They got you know, a really large number of law firms using it. And so they can see, they get a lot of insight into the issues that law firms are facing, whether it's collections or billing time, utilization, marketing efforts. And so, and so they put out this report, this trends report every year that's a combination of um, the data they see in their system and survey uh, information. And uh, it's always fascinating. And, and, you know, I think that right now that's probably one of the better sources. The ABA puts out one. There's a lot of good information. But the point is, is like every time I see one of these surveys, studies, data from the law practice, it shows the same thing. I don't know if it's a, uh, you know, hey, maybe some lawyers are just so busy that they don't need to worry about it, but they're leaving money on the table. Literally. They're right? literally leaving money on the table. We hear that with the corporate level too. It's a different complaint, but a similar complaint is my outside counsel, not as receptive. They don't take the time to learn my business. So it's, right. there's a disconnect even after they become clients. And I think you mentioned that on that your podcast. I, I might add, too, that you have your own podcast called Clienting. Very good. It's focused nice. on legal marketing. Yeah, right. it's focused on how lawyers, we try to get lo- practicing lawyers on for the most part and get them talking about what they're, what's working for them to get new business. So lawyers may not be quick to respond if they do it all. What's the issue here? Looking at the data, Guy has come up with a theory. It's that clients have vastly different expectations of how, what, and why they want to communicate with attorneys. And attorneys are simply not paying attention to what their clients want. There's a disconnect between what lawyers think clients care about and what clients actually report caring about. You know, I think some of the obvious ones, like one of the numbers that jumps off the page, 77% want to know a lawyer's experience and credentials, right? Everybody knows that, right? Lawyers know that. Lawyers know It's a relationship and reputation business, and so reputation, experience, and credentials matter. 72% want to know the types of cases they handle. Now, that's an interesting one because a lot of lawyers have a hard time articulating exactly what it is that they do beyond, you know, I was talking to a guy the other day, uh, business litigation. Well, what what do you do? Like, who do you help? Like, your small business, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I think that's an expectation clients have. You say they do a poor job of really explaining what they do. What, what do you mean by that? It's business litigation. That, to me, oh, that makes sense. You, yeah. you do commercial litigation, but you're saying it's not enough. What should that lawyer have said? It's explaining it in a way that resonates with the target audience. So, uh, you know, lawyers tend to get into their world of they've got their own language, right? You know, uh, when I was practicing law, it was the same thing. Like if everybody, even now when I talk to plaintiff's attorneys, it's like there's a language there. You don't need to say much. It's like shorthand. But let's just say that you are, uh, I don't know, make one up. You help uh, startups deal with like trademark issues. That's a, that's another step further. That, that could still fall under the umbrella of business litigation, but that's more specific. And then even getting more specific is like, you know, do you do trademark litigation? Are you doing, uh, doing enforcement? Are you, you know, how do you specifically help your client? Beyond just the, 
quote unquote practice area headline that you tend to throw out. So I think that's a that's really what that was speaking to is it's it's not just what types of case do you handle? It's how do you help me as a client? I think that's the thing that's uh, it's missing. And then the other, so another 70% want a clear understanding of the legal process and what to expect. So that's a big one too. So again, in the, and we're talking, uh, keep the trademark thing going. What's the, what is the life cycle of this representation? Like, what's it look like? Is this a, you know, next 24 hours, there's a week, two weeks, what's happened over the next month? And setting those expectations from the start makes a big difference into in how the client's feeling about the representation is like, you know, there's the uh, classic adage that the leading cause of malpractice is just not keeping clients informed about what's going on, right? A lot of that can be solved by setting those expectations at the beginning, talking about the process, giving them a roadmap. And we'll talk about some of the ways that you can even automate some of that so you can make it a little bit more clear. You know, you might have like a visual representation of what it looks like that just fire off after a retainer. But that's a big one. That, it's funny you say that because and that, that's across the board. It's not just, you know, on the consumer-facing legal problems. I would just was at a client's office two weeks ago, and they were talking about one of the – they'd reached out their outside counsel to get status on the case because they hadn't reached out. Come to find out, they'd, already, they'd filed summary judgment motion and hadn't told the in-house attorney they'd done it. it, it it's crazy. Classic. Yeah. yeah. Classic example. And then the last one that really jumped out um, is the – uh, 66% uh, want an estimate of total cost. So it's the same thing. It's, it's what what should I expect through this? Like, how much is this going to cost? Well, I don't know. You know, I'll give you my hourly rate. It's in the retainer. But realistically, like, the more you can share, and, you know, representing clients in a lot of different practices, it's it can be very fluid, right? Uh, yeah, I was just it's, saying, it's, it's, it, getting the budget's easier said than done unless you're doing, you know, like, you're doing DUIs. It's going to cost 5000 bucks, and you know right. that. And I get that. I think so much of it is expectation setting. It's not getting into like locking down commitments to a specific number, but it's having those conversations of like, well, if X, Y, and Z, if it goes this way, you're looking at this. If it goes this way, you're looking maybe something else. And, you know, lawyers, to their credit, are getting more creative about things like value-based pricing and flat fee and alternative methods to uh, their services than just the hourly rate. We're going to step away from our talk with Guy for just a couple minutes because I wanted to let you know that for every episode of Technically Legal, there's a dedicated episode page at tlpodcast.com. On that page, you'll find more information about our guests, including contact information for them, and also links with more information about some of the stuff we talked about during the episode. Also, if you want to get a hold of me with any questions, comments, or concerns, or you want to learn more about my business, Percipient, you can email me at cmain at percipient.co. That's C-M-A-I-N at percipient.co. You can also find me on LinkedIn, and you can also find me on Twitter. Look forward to hearing from you. Okay, let's pick back up with our conversation with Guy. So, as you know, we're a podcast focused on tech and innovation in the legal world. On most podcasts, we like to offer actual real-world practical tips about implementing tech into legal practices to make them more efficient and better for clients. So, what kind of tech can lawyers use to improve lines of communication with clients and strengthen client relationships? How about email automation? bots, and the use of CRM, which are customer relationship management tools. And while tech may be daunting to some, it doesn't have to be. Modern software is very user-friendly, and you can take baby steps before diving into every feature a piece of software has to offer. But as Guy explains, before even thinking about tech, the first step is to implement a policy regarding client communications and response times. You know, everybody's practice is different. Uh, so I'm going to make some suggestions. And if you're listening to this and you're like, well, that, that's never going to work in my firm. It's like, all right, fair enough. Maybe it won't. But I would at least implore you to, to consider this. So number one is 
Um, this goes to the what do clients look for when first contacting a lawyer? They want a timely response. The challenge is, all right. And that's across the board. doesn't matter. Across what, the board. Yeah. doesn't so matter what type of lawyer you're the number one factor, number one most important factor, timely response. And it was 82%, right? Was it 82%? 82% agreed that timeliness was important to them. Yeah. And, and I think at least half said it's the most important thing. So what's a busy lawyer to do? Um, number one, the mantra here needs to be, you need a policy that says we are going to respond to every inquiry, every client, every potential client, whoever calls our firm, whoever has our professional contact information, I say within 24 hours. If you can do better than that, great. If you can't do better than 24 hours, I think you need to visit that. Okay, so then the pushback is, well, I, you know, I got to practice law. I don't have time to field all these inquiries. Okay, well, maybe you have a uh, receptionist. Maybe you have a intake person. Well, it's expensive. I don't have a, the type of practice that can support a full-time person. Okay, so I would be starting to look at virtual receptionists. I love Smith AI. Smith.ai is a, uh, they actually have virtual reception and they have a uh, chat bot. And the chatbot has an AI component. So for like common questions, it will like learn answers. So I don't get into all the technical details, but this way, someone's on your website or someone calls you, someone's, a, a human being, if they call, is answering the phone. They can do a, a hot transfer or they can take a message and set the expectation of when you're, they're going to hear a response. Now you still got to respond. So Someone at the firm has got to respond, whether it's the lawyer or an intake person or somebody, but the virtual reception will help bridge that gap. So you're not getting interrupted all day with all of your inbound inquiries. I want to talk about the bot though. So th yeah. there's a second part of this. Mm -hmm. I assume that it's customizable. Customizable. And in fact, so what you do is you can seed uh, questions and answers in the bot. And so the bot basically learns based on natural language processing for the inputs that you put in. So you might say, you might have a, you might create a bot that says like, all right, if someone asks about fee structure, this is the little blurb that you want to get out. And you know, it doesn't have to just be, it's $500 an hour, right? It can be like, uh, you know, we like to have a conversation about fee arrangements, enter your email to get a follow-up about fee arrangements. So you can get creative about how you deliver the information, but that's all being automated and then to take, you know, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but you can also set it up so captures the email. Email goes into your client relationship management tool, CRM. Uh, I like Active Campaign there, but there are a bunch of them. I'm, I, you know, full disclosure, I'm a uh, investor and advisor to a company called Lawmatics, which is doing uh, CRM specifically for law firms. I, I think they're building something really cool, but obviously I'm biased. Take it or leave it. We've used Active Campaign. There's a bunch of these CRM tools. Point being, bot. Enter your email into the response to the bot, fires it to your CRM. CRM fires off an autoresponder that can fire off like uh, white papers and guides or links to video. So now you've automated a lot of that stuff that you do to try to nurture that relationship with the software. So you don't actually have to have the same conversation over and over and over again. You know those frequently asked questions you hear all the time. The software can handle it. We should talk a little bit more about CRMs just so people... I didn't know what it was until I watched the business. You know, I right. really did. But it, in retrospect, and there are Clio, you know, has that aspect to it. Sure, there are CRM client relationship management tools that are legal law facing, and I think every lawyer should use them because they have uses just beyond keeping track of leads and prospects and clients. But what, in a nutshell, describe what a CRM is? So, most simplistic version is it's contact management. Most of the CRMs that are kind of table stakes to me, they have a marketing automation component, meaning that it'll do things like 
trigger-based automation for email marketing, meaning you can set it up so that maybe it sends an email to wish somebody like a happy 4th of July or happy birthday. MailChimp's another, MailChimp's not really a CRM, but it's got- They're getting there though. Yeah. Yeah, they build a lot of automations in. Um, I love MailChimp. I think also if you're looking for a a pretty affordable option, MailChimp's a good one. It's got uh, built-in automations, but you want something that can take your potential client inquiries and move them through stages to your feed so that you can see things like call came in, potential client inquiry, step one is schedule initial consult or whatever your process is for getting them to your retainer. The CRM helps manage that process. It can, it can create reminders. Usually I'll have them have task lists. Uh, and then, you know, I think more importantly, it'll help you track the performance of your marketing and networking. So if you're a word of mouth person and you're out there investing money in networking and uh, events and that kind of stuff, your CRM can actually help you track which efforts are working the best in terms of generating new business for you. And going to that point, if you're out there, if a word of mouth person and you're getting business cards or most of these CRMs have apps, take a picture of it and it's automatically in there. Love it. Nutshell that comes to mind, Nutshell CRM, they're out of Ann Arbor, go blue. They have a really nice feature like that on their app where it takes a picture. They do a lot of good um, deduping of context. So that's another one. I like to give people a bunch of options to check out. Nutshell's one that I like. But if you, even if you go to like, uh, there's a site called Captera. And if you just search like on Captera for CRM, law firm CRM, law firm practice management, just start looking at feature comparisons. There's a growing list of you know different options that are I think are worth checking out. But you know, the biggest thing is, that you have to have something that's kind of like the central nervous system for your contact management. And it, again, it doesn't matter if your clients find you from Google or it's all uh, relationships and reputation because this is the one that gets me all the time. I've got lawyers to talk to. They've been practicing for 25, 30 years. They've got a great reputation. They've got all these contacts and they never stay in touch with anybody. After the representation, no, no follow. Which you beat me to it. What I was going to say, CRM is also good for that because if you've already landed the client, maybe it's dormant right now. Maybe they don't have anything going on, but you go in and they have the, the CRMs have the, you know, stay in touch modules. And you can look, oh, I haven't talked to, to Guy in a while. I need to reach out to him. You know, and, and they do all those studies that say the majority of business is generated from existing clients than new clients. So that's, it's like, Again, leaving money on the table if you're not following up. Just untapped resource. And, and so many, you know, I can't tell you how many times I'll be sitting, whether it's with a lawyer or a legal services consumer, and you watch what happens. And it's literally, oh, I've been meaning to contact you. I'm so glad you sent me that email. Right. And, and the email can be something like, happy 4th of July. Right. And so, you know, lawyers think like, oh, I got to send out my, my firm newsletter. And it's like, well, you know, maybe your firm, maybe people that are subscribed to your firm, firm newsletter list, they really love getting your firm newsletter. I'm not going to take away from that. But from a, a relationship uh, building standpoint, nurturing relationships, I bet you they'd much rather get the happy birthday. I mean, MailChimp, you can set it up to send them an act. You'd automate sending them a physical birthday card, which is like, wow. Yeah. And now, and now again, people, there are people in your referral network that you should be writing handwritten cards to. But if, you know, if you got... 10,000 connections, you want to write 10,000 birthday cards? No. <laughs> but this, this segues into another point. Too. I think you, you alluded to it earlier, talking about how attorneys sometimes do not keep their clients informed. You alluded to some software there. What's your suggestion there? Yeah, so a lot of, you know, a lot of these practice management tools and CRMs, 
they have that kind of stuff built in where you can fire off um, reminders about calendars. Uh, you know, a big one for me, just kind of, I was actually uh, just at the Chicago bar talking uh, automation. The, one of the things that I really like is the automatic scheduling stuff, right? So you can do, I don't want to get too uh, fancy here, but there's a tool called Calendly. Um, there's Acuity, but essentially you can pick availability slots. You can automate the scheduling process. The tool will fire off reminders. So, you know, you're getting a lot of no-shows for your initial consultations for with clients, or you're getting people that are kind of falling off the, they're like, oh, I forgot, right? A lot of these tools can be uh, configured to send a text message reminder day of or 24 hours before the meeting. Some of them you can, if you want to get really fancy, you can take the scheduling tool, connect it with Zapier. So Zapier.com is another, it just connects software is a short version of it. Create a Zap that certain types of meetings get scheduled. You know, maybe it's like a deposition or initial intake. Give the uh, client the option to check a box and you can send an Uber to pick them up. So, and that can all be automated. So that that kind of stuff is that, it's getting a little fancy, but I just kind of wanted to talk about some of the other ways that you can do things that it's a great experience with the clients. It's great for the practice management tool has a follow-up component for yourself. So if you need reminders, it can it can fire off reminders for you. But more and more you're seeing, whether it's CRM or client portals, that some of that heavy lifting that lawyers used to have to do either through like you know, one at once upon a time, lawyers actually had to mail a letter to tell people about, you know, that they have a deposition the next day. And uh, now, you know, the software can do it. So you can fire off a, you can get confirmation that they uh, received the message, text message, email, send a car to pick them up. And that can all be automated, which, you know, takes a lot of that heavy lifting off the lawyer's plate. If you're a firm that does a lot of email, autoresponders are a big one. I thought about that too, because you're getting a response and you don't have to do anything. You've already bested 64% of the attorneys out there. That's what I always say. I'm just like, you don't have to sit there and explain a complicated issue within 24 hours. You just have to acknowledge that they sent you a message and set their expectation of when they should expect a follow-up. So if someone, whether they call you or text you or email you, an autoresponder which you if you use any kind of software, most of these softwares have ticketing systems where if you submit a ticket, it'll fire off an email to you saying, hey, we acknowledge that we got your ticket. You will, you should be able to expect a response within X hours or whatever. So great, I'm all good then, right? It, what happens is the, the thing that makes me frustrated as a client is that I send you an email and it goes into the black hole. And I never hear from you. So at the very least, autoresponder automatically set up. I mean, I think lawyers are familiar with it in the context of like, I'm on vacation, right? Well, that same concept can work for actual follow-up. Uh, you know, again, hey, we got your message. I'm not, not in the office. We'll get back to you. If it's an emergency, you can contact this person. And then the other thing you can do that's, if you've got people who are in, that you're trying to stay top of mind with, you can set up email sequences with some of these tools. So it's like, here's my eight-step eight email sequence that goes from happy 4th of July to something that's a little bit more what the marketers would call like down funnel. So it's like, hey, do you have any questions about blah, blah, blah? And so you can engage them even beyond that, but all of that can be automated. One thing that I would say that you gotta be careful of, especially if this is brand new for you, you want your automations to be invisible. You don't it's not that you want to mislead people into thinking that they're actually dealing with you. I mean, this is I mean, in California, in fact, we talk about this all the time, but um, if you're using a chatbot, 
just say it's a bot. It's okay. You know, you don't have to pretend like it's an actual person. Same thing with the email. It's okay to, to say, you know, maybe it comes from the firm. You're not trying to trick them to thinking that the autoresponder is you actually responding. You say, hey, uh, we're in receipt of your message. We'll get back to you. But at the same time, if you ever do an automation and it just seems inauthentic, you're going to want to rework it because it'll become more of a liability than an asset. But, you know, it's like anything else. If, if you use some kind of technology and it just doesn't feel right, you're going to sense that and be like, yeah, I'm just, I'm stuck on this person's email list or whatever, and it's not working. I'm going to unsubscribe or block them or whatever. So uh, that's just something to keep in mind. That's not a reason not to use it, but it's just the devil's in the details of how you implement it. The autoresponder is a great idea. If the other alternative nowadays is no response, at least an auto-generated response is better, but could be just kicking the can down the road. So what do you recommend to a lawyer who sets up the autoresponder? Hey, thanks for your inquiry. I'm going to get back to you to make sure they actually get back to them. Yeah. So, you know, it's going to vary from person to person, but it should fire off an email notification to you. If that doesn't work for you, it should fire off a text message to you if that's better, which they all can do. You know, if you're that bad, then you got to talk about investing in resources to field the intake. So whether it's Smith AI or Ringbird or some kind of like more formal intake consult, you can outsource your intake, right? You better get it all right, because if you're if someone else is going to take the intake for you, you want to test the script, test the questions, test the form, all that kind of stuff. But that's the only way to do it. At some point, the buck's got to stop with you got to talk to people and get them to get to know you, especially, again, if, you're, if your target audience is sophisticated legal services consumers, they're not going to give you a lot of latitude in dealing with outsourced intake specialists or whatever else you might be using to try to do the intake. Like they want to meet you. They're hiring you. Know, that's another big thing that too, that this is like more just like general lawyer stuff, but people hire lawyers. They don't hire logo. I mean, for the most part, some, you know, I think, I think there are some firms that have developed such a reputation that people are actually like, it doesn't matter who at the firm we get, we got the firm, we're good. You know, most lawyers, they're hiring you. Like you, it's uh, use the, uh, the parlance of our times. Like, Lawyers are a personal brand. It's like who you are. Like, do people know you, like you, and trust you? And they want to talk to you. They don't want to talk to an intake or a receptionist person. They want to get you. So you got to carve out some time to actually do whatever that final step's going to be. So I think all the things that we're talking about are ways that you can nurture that potential client to qualify them to get to the point where you're going to talk to them. There are certain practice areas where maybe you can really automate even some of the aspects of the representation. But for the most part, this is a service business. You got to meet the people. You got to talk to them. But there's some things you can do to do to make it more efficient for you and the potential client as you lead up to actually getting retained. So efficiency and automation, this technically is not an automation, but you might find this interesting too, is uh, Slack collaboration tools. So I was talking to... A contact of mine is at a one of the bigger tech companies. Uh, he's in-house there. And they have a Slack channel where they pay an outside law firm to respond to questions posted on that Slack channel. I forget what specific area of law it was. I think maybe HR some, some, or some obscure area of compliance. But that's another way, another piece of software you can use. Yeah, we love stay, Slack. Um, to stay in touch with clients. There are so many tools. There's so much software that can help you with all this stuff. For me, one of the things is the starting points is, are you having conversations with your clients and setting expectations about how what's the best way to communicate, right? So 
so many people, they don't even bother to ask, like, how would you prefer that we actually communicate? Here are your options, right? Oh, you know, we can text. It's totally fine. Now, of course, there are compliance and legal ethics issues and client confidence and that kind of stuff. You want to be sensitive to that kind of thing. You know, end-to-end encryption and VPN, that's another conversation for another day. But the main issue is having a conversation at the start about how you actually want to be communicated with. And that's the piece that's missing. So if you offer out to some people, hey, does Slack work for you? Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that. I love Slack. I use it at work. So it'll actually be way easier for me to communicate with you because I'm on Slack all day anyway for work. I just need to pop open a new team. I'm good to go. Other people are going to be like, you know, text is best for me or, you know, email's fine. Or and some people still are like, it's got to be phone. And if it's got to be phone, then think you're talking about assistance. And But I, my big thing with the phone is, It's got to be human. This idea that people are going to do the press one for this, press two for that. I mean, do you like when that happens to you? I don't. So we downloaded a lot of of info, a lot of different tools, a lot of different ideas. Where would you recommend someone start? Start with the CRM, in my opinion. I agree 100%. You know, because at the very least, the CRM, it can do the... It gets you organized with your contacts. You can fu- you can stay top of mind with your existing client base and former clients. It'll help you nurture the um, you know relationships you've already you've already established. The CRM is kind of like the backbone. That to me is this place I would start from a software perspective. But I think even if you back up a little bit more, it's like you got to have policies at your practice about we're going to say we have a twenty four hour response right? And then go fill in the details of how you're going to deliver that. But, you know, again, I think so much, I I know there are lawyers listening to this right now and they're like, all right, tech people, you're full of it. I I use voicemail. Before you get into using CRM or any of this stuff, you got to start with the mindset of like, what kind of experience do you actually want to deliver? What kind of expectations do you want to set? You know, for me, the thing that I always talk about is because like we'll get into you know, unique selling propositions, especially with brand new lawyers versus experienced lawyers. Brand new lawyer says, well, how can I, I don't have the reputation this person has. I haven't been doing this for 25 years. I don't have the uh, experience. Well, guess what? If you have, if you're better at responding and you're better at engagement and you're better at follow-up, that might be your competitive advantage to win that business even though you're less experienced. And so- Well, no, it is a competitive advantage because 64% of these attorneys aren't responding at all. It's like a no-brainer. Yeah. You can be the less experienced lawyer and still win the business just with an autoresponder. Just answering an email. (laughs) Just answering an email. So that's where I'd start. Cool. Guy, thanks for your time. Where can people find you? I'm pretty active on, I waste most of my life on Twitter. Um, So at Guy Sakalakis, or people can find me at attorneysync.com. You give me my email, G-Y-I, that's a whole other story, at attorneysync.com. You search my long Greek name, um, you'll find me online, and I'm uh, always happy to answer questions, and I really appreciate the conversation today. And don't forget Clienting Podcast. Clienting okay. Podcast. All this information will be on the episode page. Thanks, Keith. Awesome, Chad. Thanks so much. So that's it for another episode of Technically Legal. As always, we appreciate you listening. If you want to subscribe, you can find us on almost every major podcast platform, including Spotify, Apple, Google, etc., etc. If you want to get a hold of me, you can shoot me an email at cmain at recipient.co. That's C-M-A-I-N at recipient.co. Until next time, thanks for listening, and this has been Technically Legal.